Welcome to another amazing episode of Kazi's Audio Experience. This is the podcast where we're not only going to sharpen our technical skills, but we're going to learn to become profitable as filmmakers. And we are live another Wednesday, another live. This time we're going live with Christopher YC Imaging. You know his name if you're in filmmaking. If you go on YouTube to learn about filmmaking, then you know this legendary dude. He's also on Instagram, huge account. Go follow him at YC Imaging. Okay, simple YC Imaging. Go give him a follow. Guys, before we even jump into our live, I do want to make a shameful plug and talk about the live training that I'm gonna be doing on Monday, next Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. You don't wanna miss it. Probably one of the most asked questions that I get is, hey, can you show us how to set up a proper node tree? That's exactly what's going to go down in that training. You know your boy is all about practicality and I take out the fluff. So that's what I'm gonna be doing. I'm gonna build a node tree that I use on every single major job. Every single big job that I work on, this is the node tree that I use. I'm gonna be doing that. Make sure to check out the link in the bio. Okay, the link is in the bio. Sign up for that training. You do not wanna miss it. It's not gonna end up on YouTube. It's not gonna end up anywhere uh, on social media. Okay, it's only going to be live for that one moment. So you wanna sign up for that. Now I'm gonna go and bring up Christopher, let's see. Yo, what's up, bro? What on, brother? <laughs> How you doing? Good. What's happening? Ah, chilling, man. Not doing too much of anything. Dude, love the office setup, man. <laughs> I'm trying to figure this out, man. It's been in uh, it's it's been in construction forever. I'm just I'm in between moving and not moving, so I don't want to put too much in here and then I have to pick it up and move it somewhere else. Oh man, that's painful. Like that happened to us with our last place. We were literally there for like seven months. Yeah. And it was sort of like that transitional phase where we were like, should I just build out my office or should I wait it out? So I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, yeah. But as filmmakers, you know, we're in constant transition, right? Like, I mean, you're going to buy something today. You're going to tell your wife that, you, you know, your life depends on it. And then tomorrow you're going to be like, hey, listen, there's this new thing that came out. Yeah. <laughs> so, brother, so excited to have you, man. Why don't you, like, I know majority of the people already know you. Like I said, I was getting so many DMs. People were just losing their minds. They were like, we've been following this guy forever. So super excited. But why don't you still take a moment and just like, you know, tell us who you are for the few that probably don't know you. Yeah, so uh, I'm Christopher Rhodes. I go by YC Imaging. Uh, I create content. I started primarily shooting music videos and doing music video related content, but I just create content around cinematography as a whole, basically. So I've been doing that for a while. I have a pretty successful YouTube channel. You know, a thriving freelance career as well. So that's basically what I primarily do. So one thing that attracted me the most, you know, to like have this conversation and bring you on is that uh, it was the authenticity, right? Like anytime I watch your content and even like how you are right now, you're just such a chill dude, you know, cool vibes. It's like, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, the thing that I admired the most is that, you know, there's not a lot of fluff. Like, I mean, you're just talking about, this is what I'm doing. That's what's going down. This is how I've done it especially that one video where you talk about how you generate money. And that's why I wanted to have this full conversation with somebody who's killing the game doing that, because so many people do have that idea that you make money, like Instagram pays you. Instagram does not pay you. 
you know, or they just go, YouTube pays you. Well, YouTube barely pays for my insurance, you know, like, so that's not the thing. So the thing that I loved about you is that you're just like, hey, here are my books. Like, this is how I do it. And I just want, you know, I always have more respect for people that are not in there for flexing reasons, right? Like, they're not just there to talk about, you know, let me just tell you all about everything that I know. And then you walk away just thinking this small and you're like, no, I don't want to be a colorist because, you know, Kazi just sat here and talked about color science for seven hours and I don't know the first thing about it. I'm out, you know? So I yeah. love your way where you're just like, you know, this is what I'm doing. Like even your recent video that I watched, which was about DSLR versus like a cinema camera and you're just sitting there. You're like, I, I got this many modules to, you know, work through for my course. And you're like, that's what I'm working on. Like, this is how we're going to go about it. And it's like, yeah. I think that dialogue is very important because a lot of the people on the other end get this inaccurate picture that if you are a successful YouTuber, then you're, you know, perfect. You're immortal. Like, you know, you just can't do anything wrong. Like you just wake up with these epic ideas. And I feel like for you to just kind of be sitting there and just talk about like, no, this is how it is, you know, and this is what I go through your video about Instagram. That was very interesting too, where you're just like, I was in love with it now i'm kind of like falling off you know and now i watch this one video from this dude and he talks about doing all your content one day i'm gonna go out there and give it a try that's what i'm talking about it's so practical so i want to kind of touch base on that like there's still a lot of work that goes into it right like when i'm watching your videos like the way they're edited and everything so they're still well thought out so what's your process for like weekly process to like what kind of content i'm going to put out how do you plan it Honestly, uh, a lot of my content, minimal planning goes into, um, unless it's like a specific dedicated video on a certain topic, or I want to go all in on uh, maybe, you know, a short film based project or something that's like a mini documentary, that sort of stuff right there, a ton of planning goes into. But with a lot of like my short film content, my blog content, not really much goes into it. But um, as far as planning, uh, I sit down, I try to figure out what what am I trying to get across to the person who's watching this? I think that that's the most important thing because, you know, short form content like a vlog can get very random, very fast. You know, yes. we wake up, we go to the desk and then you sit at the desk for 12 hours and it's just like, oh, well, this is boring. Um, so I think that that is the basis of it all. What am I trying to get across? What am I trying to show this, per this person who's going to be watching this video? Or what are they going to take away from this video? Um, and then once I have that concept, I try to figure out what sort of shots I'm going to put into it. And I film a lot over what I actually need the majority of the time. Uh, a lot of my editing process is me removing things that don't need to be there, you know? Because like, like you said, uh, I think it's wild that you said that my content doesn't have a lot of fluff because that's literally what I do in the editing process. I remove as much as I can. Does this need to be here? Does this matter? This, you know what I mean? So that's the majority of my process when it comes to editing, removing everything that does not need to be here with keeping the entire context of what the video is about there. So I might get on the camera and ramble for like 12 minutes and then I'll take out like 12 of it. I mean, for I'll probably take out like, uh, like probably 90% of it uh, because it just doesn't matter, you know? As long as the person can get from this sentence that I'm talking about, or this topic that I'm talking about, you know, I try to make it as short as possible. Now that takes, that takes a lot of practice and years of experience. I can say it, you know, with confidence, like I have been editing forever. I've been grading forever. Mm -hmm. um, and especially working in the commercial industry, 
editing, like when you're given like six hours of footage, that's all gold. Like you're looking at these Russian arm shots that are perfection. Like everything yeah. is just like, you know, you're just like, how the hell am I supposed to take 22 seconds of this? And yeah. then the last eight seconds is called the action. So I'm coming from that background. And I feel like that's, I personally think that's one of my strengths for YouTube videos as well. Like it's like the process of elimination is the process of subtraction. Like, you know, take out as yeah. much as possible without making it cutty. And this is how I feel about your videos. They never come off cutty. They never come off as like, dude, just stop like, you know, chopping your video, like just go, like get your thought out. That That's not how it ever feels like when I'm watching it, I'm absorbing it and it kind of just, you know, effortlessly, you know, lead me into the next point that you're gonna make. And I feel like what people need to take away from what you just said is that I've seen way too many like beginners that their demo reels are four minutes long. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. I've been grading high end, you know, projects for a decade and my demo reel is 59 seconds long. It's under a minute. It's yeah. like people are only gonna watch it for six to seven seconds. And it's well, like, you know? Yeah. Hundred so like percent. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was about to say like it, it doesn't take long to get hired. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, a person can watch your roof like twenty two seconds and know, all right, that's the guy for the job. You know, like four minutes long, nobody's gonna watch that. <laughs> I want to. I want to get into that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna switch back and forth between my questions and you know people's questions. There's some really great questions that came in, so I'm gonna start yeah. off with one of the questions that I have here. Somebody said. When we are starting out, should we gain experience through original content, like basically through creating original content or from a job? What's your take on that? Well, my perspective is kind of like flawed in a sense because I didn't really, I never really came into this from, I guess, from a production side of things. Yeah, I guess I did freelance work, which is great, but I, I always feel like the really good content that you're going to create is going to come from something that you want to do. And when you first start out, you, you just do everything because for one, you need money and two, you need experience. So if you ever have the time to just sit down and actually focus on something that you want to do, you know, like those spec pieces or those, those things you really care about, those are the, those are going to be the golden ones. So, you know, when it comes to building out a reel, regardless if you hate the project or not, it's going to be four or five seconds in there that you think are amazing that you can pull out and put into a reel, you know, so take the gold out of everything and, you know, try to form it into something that's good. Dude, beautiful. I, I don't want to keep, you know, just talking about the real, but I do want to say everybody that's listening, a lot of people got it backwards. They, they save best for last. Don't ever yeah. do that. Nobody's going to scrub through till the end. You right. want to put your banger stuff in the beginning and then save a shot or two till for the end. But nobody cares about the end. Like the only thing that they're going to want to see at the end is your contact information. If they right. like it and they want to reach out to you, they're going to scrub to the end. And, and I talk about these things uh, because I'm running a company where I'm hiring colorists every other day. So it, this is how I'm seeing it. And mm -hmm. I'm coming from that perspective. This is not something I read on, you know, a career builder, you know, dot org or something. Actually, I don't even know that website exists anymore, <laughs> but I'm just like, I haven't read it on a blog or anything. I'm just saying yeah. these are my own experience. Now I want to get into you know, something fun for pretty much everybody. Because that the one thing you said in your video resonated with me the most, which was that, you know, you're like, I'm a huge fan of USR, but they just came out with, you know, R6 and R5, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick those up. And you, you're like, you know, every time I think about getting new gear, like it just brings that energy back of like, when we got into this craft. Yeah. And 
I want to talk about that. I want to ask you, first of all, your favorite gear that you kind of go back to because, you know, you review all these gears and you try, get to try them out. What's your kind of go-to that you're like, this is my comfort zone. I like to live here. Yeah, I like that, man. <laughs> I really like to talk about old gear, but uh, stuff like the DJI Ronin M, like their first iteration in the gimbals, I still love that and I still use it and I still always go back to that even though it's like five years old at this point. Or like uh, the Aperture 120D, you know, like like, like that. Or like, this light is going to be good forever, you know? So um, those two things, man, those I always go back to that. Or even like a lens. A lens never really gets old. So when I get to go back and use like the 100 millimeter lens I bought like five, six years ago, it's like, great. I just, I, I love that sort of stuff, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, you, so are you Canon or are you Sony or something else? Uh, I primarily shoot Canon. So I pretty much uh, Canon Cinema, Canon DSLR. I'm like a, a Canon fanboy, I guess. <laughs> Dude, stick with it. I'm telling you, like, with yeah. the amount of cameras that I've graded, I can tell you, like, it's the closest color science to, like, say, Ari Alexa. And it it's effortless. Like, you can slap a, their technical LUT on it, their, their you know, conversion LUT, and you're done. Or you can grade it, you know, your own way and you can mm -hmm. do two quick tweaks in one note and you're almost there. So that kind of thing you do not get. Like it's even hard to get that with red sometimes because their color science is so distinct. Like red has, has its own look. But sometimes yeah. I've seen, uh, sometimes I've seen creative director freak out about it because it's like I give them the Rec 709 version and they were like, this is not what it looked like. And I'm like, of course not, because you <laughs> shot it with this epic camera, let it give it its own flavor, you know, that's okay. Yeah. But with Canon, never had any issues. Anytime I whether work on my own stuff, like I'm shooting something for my wife, I'm shooting something for a client, or I'm grading something, when I get it in that Rec. 709 world, they're always like, this is exactly what it looked like. So, you know, stick with it, man. This is a good camera. Yeah, I love I love the Canon side of things. They got their flaws in the DSLR world, but their cinema camera's always on point. No, that's what I'm saying. And the, the C70, like, I think that's the new line, you know, that's kind of is yeah. going to go between or is going to replace uh, C200. I mean, mm -hmm. that is like, it, it's so reassuring to know that if you're, if you were investing in RF lenses, like now they can easily be translated to that, you know, and you can just use them on a cinema line uh, cameras that they got going on. I want to jump into another question from a fan, which is, how to build a strong portfolio as a beginner. Do you have any tips like for people that are just starting out, don't really have a lot of clients under their belt? Like how do you build a good portfolio? I think that, I don't think you're gonna have a solid portfolio base until you figure out what you wanna do. Like when I first started to do video, yeah, I was interested in music videos, but I did event recaps and I did weddings and uh, I did commercials for stores and I did a bunch of random stuff just because I was trying to find myself as a cinematographer and what I actually enjoy doing. So I, I think that, you know, first off, you should just practice doing everything because you never know what you want to do. You might think you love weddings, but you've never tried anything else. You just go for what you know. So once you do it that and you determine what you actually like, try to do some projects for free, you know, with an idea and an intention that is actually great. It allows you the uh, opportunity to experiment with a bunch of different things too. Typically when you're working with a client, this is dead on, this is what they want. And you might not be all the way on board with what they want. So when you do something free and you know, get your uh, creative thoughts in there and you can kind of experiment around with different ideas. So I definitely think that you know, doing a couple projects for free is a really good way to build a solid 
for your business. I think I think that is gold right there because I always tell everybody that when you're starting out, you have zero leverage, especially when you're doing paid gigs. Yes. And when you're starting out, nobody like you're not going to be working on the next Super Bowl commercial. That's not going to happen. So you're going to be doing some infomercial that you don't even want to show, you know, your girlfriend. And if you're going to be working on something like that, the only leverage that you have is working for free because then you get to choose what you want to work on. You can reach mm -hmm. out to people, whether it's Instagram or whatever, and say somebody gives you a shot and they go, I have this project. I do like your work. I don't have a budget. Can you do it for free? Now you get to work on something that you're going to be proud of. You're going to learn a ton from and you know what you're getting into. You know, so that's why I always tell people that don't just look at and don't freak out when I say work for free. I'm not saying working for free for life, but yeah. I am saying another thing that I do all the time is that, you know, especially because the world is changing so much, right? Like, and I want to go as far away from the corporate world as possible. So unless you're working with the corporate world where money comes first and you lock in the number and you send in an invoice and they pay you 50%, then you get on a job. That's a different story. When I'm getting clients through Instagram and I'm working on like huge artists from like Morocco or whatever have you, the money is a thing for the first time when we're working on a project. Afterwards, I never bring it up. Like I'm just like, it doesn't even come up. Like sometimes like I'll finish the project, send it out and they were like, yo, bro, like, did we decide how much? And I'm like, uh, do you want to do this? And they were like, can we do that? And I'm like, sure, send it. But it just, I want to make that process so seamless and so easy that people are just like, Kazi is my dude. That is my dude. I don't care. So, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, relationship building and things can easily happen when you can take out as many frictions as possible. So, you know, what, what, you know, Christopher, you're saying it's, it's gold, man. Like, I mean, it's just like, get to pick and choose what you want to work on in this day and age. That's the only edge that you're going to have. I want to get into a fun question and ask you, what's your favorite genre? Like whether it's movie, movies or TV. Sci-fi, 100%. Like, sci-fi? Sci-fi, yeah. I'm not into like um, horror or a little bit of thriller, but 100% sci-fi, 100%. Let me ask you this. Have you seen Dark? Oh my goodness, bro. I've seen Dark like four times. <laughs> I love Dark. Dark is Oh so my God, dude. Okay, I just finished it. I just um, finished it like a couple of days ago. And it was just one of those times like where I just kind of took two days off and I'm like, I'm just not going to do anything. Like I'm, there were a lot of fires going on in Irvine and everything. We had to evacuate. I, I busted my $35,000 broadcast monitor. I was in a bad place. So I kind of went, I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take advantage of it. Instead of eating shitty food, I'm just going to like be lazy and just like binge watch some random stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I never watch random stuff. I always have like a list of things that I want to watch. So I was like two, season two seasons behind. I was like on episode eight of season one. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm just going to sit through and I'm going to finish Dark. Oh my God, dude. Dark crazy. Dude, that's a 10 for me. I just went on IMDb yeah. right away, and I'm like, 10. Like, this is Dark so is up there, 100%. Like, yeah, that's that's my genre, man. Like, anything sci-fi, anything that's fake, but it has just enough validity validity that it, it this could almost be real, you know? Yes. That sort of stuff like that, man. Dude, so I let me ask you this. Like, what do you... When you decide to watch something, like, do you lean to watch a TV show or a movie? Uh, depends on the vibe, honestly. Um, it also depends on the amount of time I have as well. You know, you got to invest a lot of time in the TV shows, which I enjoy a lot. But, you know, sometimes I might just want to sit down and kind of, you know, mess off like two two hours. I watch a movie. But 
you know, some TV shows, they leave, they leave you with that cliffhanger. It's like, man, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. Before, it you know, ruins you, man. Happens. Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, like a, I'm like a grandpa with that. Like, that's why my, my favorite genre is crime. But in general, if I have time to watch something, it's going to be nonfiction. I'm, I'm just like a history buff. Like, I just want to see things that are tangible that I can take and like uh, distill some sort of a lesson from it. It sounds so freaking lame. But I can distill some sort of lesson from it so I can teach it to yeah. my son and be like, this is, you know, this is what it is. This is the way of the world. I don't know, man. So I, I tend to go that route. Like a lot of the times, like I'll be watching like some planet Earth sort of crap. Like, all, like you know, if I'm going to have time, I'm going to be doing that. And plus, like the it doesn't hurt that it's all epic in Dolby Vision. Like the colors look so great and you just like end up watching the whole thing. Um, I want to jump into another thing that somebody asked. And I think... Um, with the last question that I asked you about from the fans, like this one is going to go um, right next to that. So somebody said, I'm in high school and want to be a film director. What should be my first step? I'm, I'm not a film director, so <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I also don't do film either. So like this, this kind of like stems with like the debate of like people saying like, oh, is film school worth it or not? I never could really accurately answer that question because I don't do film and I've never actually tried to do film. But what I do know is there's certain aspects of film that I still don't understand that I feel like maybe if I did go to film school, I would understand like audio, for instance. I don't know anything about audio still to this day because I started doing music videos and I don't need audio for music videos, you know, so... There's also certain aspects with storytelling that I struggle with as well that I feel like maybe I could have picked up on these things from film school. So that's kind of one of those things where I'm not, I, I feel like I'm not really qualified to answer because I, I don't do film and I'm- I'm, I'm just, gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna save you four years and hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> on, and just tell you this, that I did go to film school and yeah. majored in cinematography, minor in editing. And I can tell you right now, you're not missing out on anything. It is, it was literally we would just look at the first scene of Space Odyssey and talk about it for 12 out of the 16-week class. And it's like, listen, uh, I understand that Stanley Kubrick might be like one of the freaking messiahs after Jesus. But at the same time, I just know for a fact that he did not spend 10 years of his life writing the first scene. So please do me a favor. Let's yeah. not sit here and just talk about the greatness that is Stanley Kubrick for 12 weeks <laughs> and bore me to death to a point where I never <laughs> finished the movie. Dude, yeah. I never I finished that movie. I was so over it that my brother is like, have you actually then watched the movie? I'm like, no, dude, if you say the name of that film, I'll punch you in the mouth. Like, I'm <laughs> over it, you know? So yeah. I want to save you, like, you know, so all I'm saying is that it was opposite of what you try to do, right? Like I said, you're all about practical knowledge and not yeah. fluff. And I think school is like 98% fluff. Like, uh, so here's the thing, right? Like I, I use this example all the time. Mm -hmm. I, it took me six years to start my YouTube channel because, you know, I was above it, right? Like I, I went to film school, I'm working on all these jobs. I'm above it. YouTube is for kids. YouTube is for cat videos. Am I right? High fives everywhere. I was yeah. that guy, right? So my little brother, talks to me and he's like bro like can you teach me how to edit like like just ask me like that and I'm like dude my plane leaves in two hours I'm in Chicago like my family lives in Chicago and I'm like I, I gotta go back to California but let me show you what I can show you in Final Cut 10 so I pop open Final Cut 10 I show him like five things the dude is a genius right like I mean he's like 
was one of the top 10 players, like chess players in the country. Like he's, he's super smart. So he watches yeah. me go through, show him a few things. Three months later, he hits me up and he's like, I just hit my 20,000, like, you know, subscribers on YouTube, dude, I've been making YouTube videos. I'm like, wait, what is going on? And then right, right now he's sitting at like 900,000 or something like that subscribers on YouTube. And he's a, he's a programmer The dude, and he just, he's 25 or 20, like he tw he's 26 now. And yeah. I'm just like, I looked at his growth and I went, oh my God, like what happened here? And then I started analyzing it and thought about it. And what really happened is that there's one thing that school taught me really well. And that was, don't do it. If you have doubt about something, mm -hmm. don't do it. Make sure it's perfect. Make sure it's just epic. Make sure your set can make Roger Deakins proud or else it's not worth shooting anything. That's what school taught me. And that's why I'm so against it because it was the opposite message of just like, pick up your phone and go do it. So when I see filmmakers like you, and mm. when I see filmmakers, you know, that are out there that are kicking our asses, you know, like people that are supposed to be like, oh, we know it all. What I get to learn is that there is beauty and there's simplicity in just like, you know, building a plane while flying it, you know? Right. Yeah. You know? And uh, so that's what I, I learned from my brother. You know, he, he's eight years younger than me, but when I saw his growth, I was humble enough to kind of go to him and ask him for suggestions because I'm like, now I want to do this, but I'm not going to act like I'm Mr. Know-it-all. I'm actually like quite the opposite. I was like, I didn't do a YouTube channel because above all things, I was insecure. I was like, I am supposed to be this big cheese in town. Now, if I start a YouTube channel and my videos get 10 views, all of a sudden, I'm just going to be like this salty little guy who's just like, I didn't want yeah. to make videos in the first place, you know? <laughs> yeah. Nah, I feel that, man. I mean, to kind of, to, to, I guess to kind of touch on the answer for that, um, one thing that I did learn that I feel would be much more valuable than going to school is to find someone who, one, has what you want. Someone who can achieve what you're trying to achieve that can teach you the same thing and figure out some way to get them to mentor you in some kind of way or another. Um, so for me, I have people like Cooper Films, who like Morgan Cooper, who was an amazing cinematographer on all levels. Um, you know, when he opened up his platform to allow people to, you know, sign up for his uh, his Patreon. He had a Patreon before he did the Fresh Prince reboot spec piece that he did and just went nuts. But I was all for it. You know, it was like 25 bucks a month. Like what? 25 bucks a month compared to what? A hundred thousand dollars in tuition? Yes. You know what I mean? That, like, absolutely. You know, the scope of learning right now online, so many people have detailed courses about specific topics. So, you know, find people who are in the field that you want and can achieve what you're trying to achieve and, you know, learn from them as best as you can, 100%. Dude, that is, again, it's like, it's practical information coming from you, like, left and right. And that's the thing, right? Like, if people are looking for answers, they're right here. It, yeah. really it, it really can be that simple. And I say it all the time, like I'm not the one into, you know, consp conspiracy theories, but I know for a fact my, share, uh, my fair share of like hate that I get from the industry, all the colorists, like how they hate the idea of like me kind of democratizing this industry and telling people that color grading is just another skill, just like how editing is. But right. up until this point, you only got the how-tos about color grading, right? Like, I mean, you go on YouTube, you type in something about color grading and somebody teaches you, you are supposed to convert your footage from this to that or else the color grading God will slap you, you know, like if you don't do that. And it's like, 
but that is the how that's good 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 like let's move on what's next how do i tell a story like what's next like take me somewhere let's go somewhere with this and mm-hmm. there was a reason why they didn't want to do it they don't want to do it is because you you probably know colors get paid like just ignorant money dude like i mean big companies are charging $1200 an hour like you know t- like $5000 an hour okay and it, the money is just so out of control i know a colorist that makes $10000 a day okay and and he's working for big big production houses and he's booked he's booked out of control i don't know colorist money was like that that's crazy no the, so the colorist money is like that that's why they put a bounty on you when somebody goes out there and goes i'm going to turn color grading into just like it's editing like everybody should know it in every right. corner of the world and the thing about the beautiful thing about color grading is that it can be done remotely very easily editing is very involved right like if you're editing something you need to know the footage you need to know the context you need to be inside like the director's head so that's why a lot of the times the director is sitting right here while you're editing with color yeah. grading it's more like hey i want it to look like transformers you know 2000 circa 2006 like here's the look this is what i'm going for can you make it happen then i try to do something i send you a lookbook you look at it you're like it's too far it's too close blah 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 let's move on with it and you move on. so all i'm saying is that without the going on a crazy tangent i feel like the school systems the traditional education system is a very similar thing where there's a lot of people that are kind of throwing a lot of shade at e-learning they're throwing a lot of shade at like everybody can be a youtuber thing whereas i have learned 100 times more on youtube than i have paying hundreds of thousands of dollars in school and the loans that i'm going to be paying until what am i uh, until i'm i'm turning 35 but i'm going to be paying my loans until i'm like 40 or something okay mm-hmm. student loans and the stuff that i pick up on youtube like the on demand learning this is the future this is where it's headed so i feel like when it comes to online courses like you know you're talking about cooper films like i mean think about like film riot think about you know back in the day our og uh, vfx dude what's his name andrew kramer like and, think about these guys yeah. man like they changed the world like i mean you just go and get exactly what you're looking for you're you're trying to make art you're trying to make this film you just need to know that one thing you go learn it you apply it you just made yeah. it happen you know so there's a beauty in that 100% man like you shouldn't have to <laughs> you shouldn't have to wait now weeks to learn how to you know proper proper properly EQ you know audio for a dialogue scene that's what i'm saying i mean you know like uh i love i love that dude like i mean you, uh, because here's the thing i mean maddy uh you know uh what's his name um i don't know his last name but i mean uh, apoya yeah yeah exactly yeah so i mean he put out like you know he's just like hey you know sound is not my thing eq is not my thing i hooked up with my buddy who created these presets and now you can go right here and get them throw it on your audio if it's you know recorded in this kind of envi- environment it's just going to work perfectly done and done let's move on because you don't need to become a freaking sound engineer you know just to be <laughs> making good sounding videos and that's what i'm saying it's like nowadays people are so freaking smart man like kids and and people in their 20s they're like super computers like the way they absorb information and then spit it back out it blows your mind you're like holy hell so it's almost like people that are in their 30s and older we have to be humble enough to relearn rewire our like how to do things you know yeah. 
I want to jump into another question and ask you, um, somebody asked like, hey, how to focus on things that matter and will give you the most return on your time and energy? But I think there's two parts to this question. First of all, let me ask you, do you even know, like at times, that this thing that I'm working on is going to have return on investment? Let's just try to stick with like, say, when you're making YouTube content, do you know what's going to bang? Yes and no. I, I think I've gotten to a point where I know the scope of what kind of content does well on YouTube. But at the same time, I've also gotten to a point where it's just like, do I care about this? You know, you know, certain stuff does particularly well on YouTube, regardless of, you know, what it's about. Like camera related content on my channel does well. There's numbers. Like if I, if I talked about cameras every day, it go bananas. But cameras are born, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, I kind of know what and what does and what doesn't do well, you know, to to an extent, you know, certain things where I might put a video out and I think it's going to do well and it doesn't do as well. But I think that just to kind of generalize it, yeah, I think I know what does and what doesn't do well, for sure. So, I mean, that is, I feel like that takes a certain amount of confidence and, again, experience to kind of get to a point where you've grown like a thick skin where you're just like, even if my blog, the things that I want to talk about might not do anything right now, but maybe like if you have like a bigger goal and in a, in, in a long-term scheme, it's going to pay off, you know, and then you just kind of run with it. I think that the thing that I've learned about like, you know, kind of, kind of gauging the numbers and caring about the numbers is um, for me anyways, if I do something that I, actually like i don't care if it gets the numbers you know what i mean yeah but if i do something solely for the numbers and it doesn't get the numbers then it's a double negative and it's like oh my god i just you know i just did this just to get numbers and it didn't get numbers and now I, now i hate it and it didn't get numbers so uh it's just all about balance you know i think the best thing to do is just to create the content that you want to create um and like I said, with me, I'm su I'm super satisfied making that kind of content. Like if, if I love this concept and I love what I did to it, I love the amount of time and effort I put into it, I don't really care if it, if it pops or not. So. I want to get into, start slowly getting into like talking about the actual, like how to try to come up with multiple streams and like start making money. Um, yeah. Like doing original content, right? Uh, creating your own content. But one of the things here, let's just, this is going to be a good leeway, but somebody said, how do I get enough steady freelance work to quit my nine to five? Do you have any strategies or tips for that? This is a good question. How to, how to get enough clientele to, 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 to quit your nine to five. This is like a kind of one of those things where I never really had to do it myself. You know, I was in school for a little bit as well. And I never really had to like make that transition from having a nine to five job into, you know, slowly getting into freelance work. Uh, I think one thing that significantly can help you do this is to get rid of things that you don't need on the financial side of things. Because the older you get, the more you get yourself into situations where you have to provide or you have to pay for certain things. Like, if you have a nine to five job and you continuously live within your means, you know, say you make $4,000 a month and you 
you only pay a thousand dollars in rent then you might think like oh i'm gonna go get this bins and i'm gonna have to pay three thousand dollars a month on this before you know it, it's evening out so now you now have to uphold this four thousand dollars a month lifestyle right so i think the thing that can help you is living below your means that way you have to make less money to survive obviously so on the financial side of things that makes sense but it's in terms of just like getting clientele i think that you have to be active i think that people think that just being good is enough um it's great to be good it's great to be amazing at whatever you do whether it's cinematography photography or color grading, whatever you do it's great to be good at it but you have to be proactive until you don't have to be proactive you know your name doesn't just get out there you have to put in the work and you have to proactively search for clientele you know so whether that be you hashtag targeting on platforms like instagram to find potential clients who need the sort of work that you're doing or if it's just you out and about in your actual city doing footwork you know to get that clientele you have to be active you have to be proactive um and i think if you do that enough you'll eventually get to a point where you don't have to do that so. yes no dude i couldn't agree more and i'm just gonna add one thing to it and that is one thing people need to understand is that i, I and i'm just gonna speak for you too Christopher and I have probably never worked harder in our lives. Like one thing that I need people to understand that when you can just be in a t-shirt all day long and work from home, that doesn't then all of a sudden means that you work for one hour and there's just some sort of passive income that's coming in and you're living yeah. on a yacht and you're living this lifestyle. The mm -hmm. Wolf of Wall Street life is amazing. That's what I want. But, yeah. you know, you just don't get there. That's not how it works out. I worked twice or three times as hard as I did when I had a full-time job. Uh, because when I had a full-time job, I remember. Like, yes, on paper, we were traveling 60% of the time. Yes, on paper, I was working five days a week, some on-call 24-7. But in reality, the videos will take me two days to edit, and I had five days, like, that I was at the office. So then we're lollygagging, like, each <laughs> other's, like, you know, you know, offices, and just chilling out, taking long breaks, going to lunch for two hours. And that's how the game is played when you're at a full-time job. So just know if you have a full-time job, I promise you, I'm telling, I'm saying that based on personal experience, you're doing a lot less in a full-time job. Yes, you're physically there, but yeah. you're doing a lot less than what you're going to be doing when you're running your own business, because there's not a single day when I'm not monitoring my sales, when I'm not looking at all the numbers, like how many people did I get to my webinar today? How many views am I getting this week? Do I need to you know, kick in more effort and put out another video? Like what's going on with Instagram? This strategy, we tried it for two weeks. It's not really working. What's happening? Am I getting published you know, through big like accounts on Instagram? What do I have to do to create content that might do that? There's all these things that are happening every yeah. second. Brain power that you're putting into it that does not happen when you work for somebody else because you just go to work and you have a meeting and you're told what to do and just move on. Yeah. The thing about working for yourself, you're never really off. Right. You're never off. You know, never. like you, you might be away from the computer, but you're still brainstorming strategies. You're still checking up on your phone and doing emails. It's just like you, you never really clock out, you know, as, as with a nine to five. It's just like, all right, you know that when you get to Friday, Saturday and Sunday, you are off and you don't even have to think about this job or, you know, when you clock out, you go home, you might eat a piece with your family. You don't even have to think about it, so. Yeah, uh, what is that? So I wanna ask you about this, like work-life balance, right? Is that is that a real thing or is it bullshit? I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's a real thing to an extent, 
but you always have what you have to do on the back of your mind. You know, you can never really turn it off. You know, I think that it's a constant struggle um, being an entrepreneur and just being a creator in general, you know? You know how I have to turn it around? Like, I mean, I was, you know, for me, it, it doesn't make it. Like, for me, it's really hard. Work-life balance, because I, I'm, I'm sort of like, by personality, I'm super passionate, borderline extremist. So anytime I'm in something, like, I'm in it. I'm swimming in it. So for me, to turn that around was that having that conversation with my wife to be like, I'm going to go all into this this is going to be the future. I want you to, let's work together. Like we should do this together. We, we both met in film school. So that helps out that we're both in the same industry. She's a photographer. Yeah. And I said, go in with me on this. Let's do this together. But that's what it's going to be most of the time. So even when we go on like date nights, even when we're do, like going to dinners, a lot of the times like work will come up, but it never comes up as like, can you stop talking about work? It always comes up as like, she'll be like, hey, I was trying to do this, this, and that. What do you think of that? And then it just will be a conversation. Yeah. You know? So now I'm just like, man, I might have found a glitch in the system where <laughs> I don't have to turn it off and that's it. You know, that's life. Yeah. Nah, 100%, man. I think it's the same with, uh, with my wife as well. Like, she knows that, you know, we might be at dinner and I might talk about all the stuff that I got to do this week, but it's just getting it out in the air and you know, making sure you have a mutual understanding of what needs to be done. So, exactly. I wanna I wanna get into and ask you another question that somebody's asking, and some of them might be you know kind of obvious, but I think we still have to answer them. But yeah, somebody asked like, how do you come up with rates? So when you're deciding to like you know bid on a job, like you don't have to give obviously exact numbers, but like, do you have like a process that you use, like a checklist sort of thing? For me. I'm more so just go off of like, like feeling like, what do I feel like this is worth to me? Um, and that, that, that varies all over the place because it might be a job that requires more work, but I'm more into the concept of what needs to be done personally that I'm down to take a cheaper rate for it, you know, whereas it might be something that's super simple, but to me and my mental capacity is just straight up boring. So I'm like, all right, well, if I have to do this and I'm going to want more money to do it. So, I think for me, it all starts at, what is it worth to me? You know, I sit down and I analyze and I think about all of the things that is gonna be required to get this done. I'm gonna have to sit here and do this edit for 18 hours and I'm gonna have to be on set for 12 and then I'm gonna have to deal with this person who might be annoying. <laughs> you know, so all those things kind of factor into the price for me. I think that right now, it, at this point in time, when I, when I go into do negotiating for projects, I'm a little bit more um, relaxed because I don't necessarily need the money from the projects. And, you know, when you actually need the payment, you might be down to take a lower rate because you want to make sure that you secure the job. So I think that those are also things that I got to put out there too. Um, it's easy for me to say, tell them $20,000. And if they say, no, don't take it. Or if they yeah. try to pay you a penny under, don't take it. But I can't realistically say that because a lot of people aren't in the position that I am with making, you know, income in other places. So right. think about realistically where the rate could be. Um, I think another important thing to discuss with a clientele, I mean, with clients as well, is what's your budget? You know, just that simple question alone uh, can get you to a really good place with the price for the project. You know, you might have been thinking all the my heart says do this for 300. But if you ask them, what's your budget? And they say 3000, you're like, oh, Okay, yeah, let's. That's cool. Let's do that. 
you know? Exactly. No, that, these are billion dollar tips, dude. Like seriously, this is like all the things that you just said, most of the things that I, I try with my clients right away. And, and the way I gauge it is very similar. It's like the shittier the project is, the more I want to get paid. Yeah. Because I don't need it. It's not going to end up on my reel. It's going to take time away from me, my family, my business, all that. So you're going to pay me a lot or else just don't <laughs> yeah. even try. Yeah. The better the project is, I'm going to be that much more bendable. I'm just like, let's feel it out. Let's work it out. I have a couple of clients that are local clients that are so epic and we're more like on bro level that I just hit up one of my dudes and I'm like, yo, totally forgot to ask you, like, did you ever pay me for this? And that was like a month ago. And he's like, oh shit. Yeah. He's like, I got you, man. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. All right, let's move in. Like, move on. Like, it's not even an issue. And like you said, it's very important to be in a place in your life where these things, like you can take advantage of these luxuries. These are luxuries, right? Because I remember yes. like being at a, at a place where chop, chop, I need to pay my rent. Like something needs to happen. Money needs yes. to come in. So those things are going to, like you know matter but ultimately i feel like when it comes to basing your rate uh in my life i'm gonna be honest like in my experience i've never i've had zero luck with uh salary.com and any of those places i feel like in our business it's so all over the place man like yeah. it just some companies for editing are starting you off at forty thousand. some might pay you ninety-five thousand. like if you're maybe working as an editor for facebook somehow they're gonna like look at you how they pay their you know IT guys and they're starting them off at like 200 so then you are gonna get like really good pay compared to like some startup that might turn into like you know put out the next Oscar winning project but they might pay you 25,000 a year you know so you'll never know that's important to just understand that asking your client uh, well, what's, you know, that's my number one question. Like I get, a, like I get asked all the time, like, you know, Hey, Kazi want to hire you for a feature. And I just like reach back, like, reach back out to them. And I'm just like, what's your budget for color? And they were like, well, we want to know, like, you know, what do you think? I'm like, what was the budget for the film? And they go, Oh, for the entire project, it was $30,000. Boom. Like now I know if the yeah. whole film was made for 30,000, they probably have 1500 or like $1,000 or 1500 bucks for color to whole right. feature. That's an 80 minute feature that can take anywhere from like, if you're really fast, you can get it done in seven or eight days, but it can take from eight days to like six or seven weeks. So yeah. do I want to spend that time for $1,500? The answer is very obvious and move on. Yeah, no, definitely <laughs> don't want to spend that much time with $1,500. Hell no. <laughs> no, if it's La La Land, it's going to be the next big thing. Then I'll yeah. think about it, you know, but you know, they, right. they're not going to be uh, penny pinching you like that. All right, brother, I want to move on to the next question. You know, let's let's uh, keep it fun, too. So let's let me ask you, PC or Mac? Mac, 100%. Done. You don't have to say anything else. Mic drop, both of us, like, yeah. game over. We're out, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so I want to ask you, like, now let's get into it. Because somebody asked, somebody's like, um, how do you, how to diversify our revenue sources, especially during a lockdown? Let's just take out lockdown and... Now I want to hear like, you know, the, the meat and the potatoes, like, let's talk about what do you got going on? How are you, you know, staying profitable, you know, and sort of like bulletproof, right? Because I'm assuming that this time didn't really change things or slowed it down for you because you just diversified your portfolio enough. So let's talk about it. What's your strategy yeah, for that? Sure. Um, I mean, I guess first I'll just talk about like the different like revenue streams that yeah. I've got myself personally. 
one, you know, obviously I have a freelance career where, you know, I get paid based on the jobs that I do. Uh, two, we have YouTube AdSense. So this is the most basic payment form on the YouTube platform. You get paid for the ads that show on your videos, beginning, middle, end, regardless. Third for me would be uh, digital products. So I sell things like LUTs, I sell transitions packs, um, branding kits, stuff like that to kind of speed up your workflow um, with creativity. Then we have affiliate marketing on a YouTube platform as well. This is me kind of suggesting a certain product to you. And if you purchase it through the link, I'll get a percentage of that payment. And then five would be um, online learning courses, which I've just recently gotten into. So that would be like my five income streams. And then I probably have some other little small ones, but I think the way to get into diversifying your income is to think about the strengths and the things that you can provide for people off rip, you know? So if you are an amazing colorist, <laughs> you know, you can uh, create a course about color grading, you know, you can create LUTs. Or if you're just an amazing cinematographer, you might can create a guide, you know, directing other people on how to be other, like, you know, great cinematographers or DPs, whatever you do, whether you're a grip or whatever. It's always knowledge to be sold because people are down to pay for knowledge and knowledge is such a valuable tool. So knowledge, capitalizing off of knowledge, uh, also convenience. If you can make something faster and easier for someone, they're typically down to pay for something like that. Um, and if you have an audience, an audience is a great way to capitalize off of affiliate marketing of some sort, whether it be someone trying to promote through uh, your platform or you promoting a service or product to other uh, people in your audience. So those three things right there can get you paid along. So if you have an audience or you know something or you can make something easier and speedier for somebody, those three things are what you need to think about when it comes to diversifying your income. And, dude, I mean, wow. And it's, it's guys, especially people on my side, like that are listening to this, like you can go, you know, look up his stuff and especially watch that one video where, you know, Christopher breaks it down and like kind of takes you through all of that, that he basically just like explained in a nutshell and he'll show you the numbers. And one thing that I want to say is that this is the modern day, right? Like this is the age that we live in. So, yeah. you know, especially people that are listening that are sort of like uh, pre-social media, right? Like I'm on the cusp. I consider myself that too. Like, you know, I always roll my eyes over Facebook, Instagram, and all those things. And so people that are like that or even more like that, you know, that they're on the other side and they're just like, well, I have a real job. When I got into this, you know, and I created my course, my side hustle, my fake job, shitted on my real job in a couple yeah. of months okay and my real job took me decade worth of experience and it's good enough to get me to a point where i created this following and i created a platform where everybody is like i want to swim in that kool-aid and this shit that you're putting out so what i'm mm -hmm. trying to say is that you got to get off that high horse okay it, it's not that anymore like the the world is changing and you can stick with it in your head and just think that, no, no, no. Like I get paid $140,000 a year. It took me like 14 years to get here. I got a good thing going. You can make that in one week by doing a quick launch, doing this, okay? You know, Muhammad Ali, right? Like it ain't bragging if it's true. So that's all I'm saying. Like, I mean, it's, this is the world we're living in. Influence matters. I'm not going to get political about the election or anything like that. But if you think about the biggest edge right now that Trump has over Biden, it's literally his following compared to Biden's following. When, right. when Trump puts out a freaking tweet, it, it matters. When yeah. Biden puts out a tweet, I'm subscribed to him and I don't get it. 
So all I'm saying is that this freaking matters, okay? So like when, if I have 200,000 people here and I say, I wanna go live and I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna get a different kind of following that's gonna show up and is gonna listen to me compared to somebody that has four followers might be the colorist of some huge movie when that person goes live. So yeah. let's not negate that fact. This is the world that we live in and connecting with people, how horrible can it be? When we get to teach each other, learn from each other, share these experiences. So we have to open our minds as creatives because I'm kind of getting tired of hearing people talk about, well, you know, Kazi, this market is saturated. I can't really like make ends meet, blah, blah, blah. Every, every market is saturated, bro. Like if you start selling right. fish, like down the block, you're gonna yeah. find 50 people doing the same thing. You're gonna be like, oh, no, this market is saturated. That is like, people always say that this market is saturated. But if you think about it in this day and age, it's not a market that's not saturated. The internet has made things so accessible for everyone that it does not matter what you do. It's going to be a large group of people trying to do the exact same thing. So, I mean, like, when does this become an invalid, you know, argument or, you know, excuse for what you're trying to do? It's always going to be people trying to do something that you want to do. It's always going to be that. Like, so the, well, then why don't you create your own currency? Why don't you create your own market? And that's what we are here to do. That's what we're talking about. And this is the kind of message that, you know, I, I shared the story yesterday and then, dude, it hit me so hard. It was an email that I got and I read through it. And this guy, I remember him, you know, DMing me at the time. But this guy who is from India and, mm -hmm. you know, the USD over there is a lot. Like, you compared to their money, our dollar is crazy so this dude like his family didn't make a lot of money none of that and he had like you know a basic job and he said i want to make an investment and get your course but i'm too afraid because i can also invest that money into gear and actually make stuff and make money that way and i said do what you want to do but you have to invest in yourself there's going to be a point in your yeah. life where you're going to have to make that investment we do that going to school day in and day out but then when it comes to this new platform which is e-learning we have all the, we get cold feet, all that stuff. Long story short, he got the course and then he wrote me this long ass email and he said, Kazi, I took the course, I finished the course, I landed that one small gig, that led to two more gigs, that led to one big gig and now I'm gonna, I got hired to do a couple of, uh, work on a couple of projects for Facebook India. And uh -huh. he's like, I didn't just buy that one monitor that I wanted to buy and I didn't want to get your class to get that monitor. He's like, now I have two of those monitors. I just got a reference monitor. And he's like, now I got X, Y, and Z, these things coming down the pipeline that I'm going to be working on. And he's like, I just want to take a second and thank you that that happened. So not to, you know, like say anything that anything special that I did, but it's all about getting, like giving people permission, getting this message out and letting people know that, hey, this is what's happening. It doesn't matter which part of country you're in, what's going on with you. Take the reins, like take control. It's up to you. That's one yeah. thing nobody can take away from you. You have to, you have to, you, like you said, man, it's going to become a point in time where you have to invest in yourself, you know? You know, so, I mean, brother, I want to ask you a few more questions if we're going to wrap it up, but, uh, so this is a pretty good one too. Quality versus quantity. That's, that's a fan question. Quality versus quantity. Does quantity really win? I think that when you first start out, you need quantity to produce quality. If you never make anything, you're never going to make anything quality. You got to fall on your butt and learn something. You know, you got to make a couple projects and bomb on them. You're never going to come out of the gate and make something fire. 
Love Never. That. Everybody's first work is always garbage. <laughs> so in order for <laughs> you to improve your skills, you have to produce quantity to even get to quality. Um, and I do think it becomes a point where you only want to produce quality, but you have to produce quantity to even get there. Dude, I just couldn't agree more. I feel like I feel like it doesn't matter. And that's like an ongoing joke. And we always laugh about it. Anytime I do a live, like, you know, my wife asked me, how did it go? And I'm like, this was the best live live I've ever done. And she just always laughs. She's like, <laughs> anything that she's like, you work on every time you're just like, this is the best project I've ever graded. Like, you know, it could be a small project and I graded it and she's like, how did it go? And I'm like, this is the best project I've ever graded. And she's like, what are you talking about? You said it had all these things that were wrong with it. I'm like, I know, but like, you just cannot, you know, overlook experience slash skill set that you develop by doing more and more, you know? Right. You can't, you, you have to, you have to fail to learn how to fix it next time. I think that that's what I take away from everything. Regardless if I make an amazing project or something that bombs, something always goes wrong. You know what I mean? Right. And those are the things that you learn to then implement onto the following project. So you have and, to, you have to use it. You have to create something, you know? And I always tell everybody that get started now because there's gonna be so many things that you're gonna pick up along the way. There's always going to be a learning curve that mm -hmm. you can't skip that learning curve. It's not going to happen that Kazi, I know you told me for the last two years to do this, but I was just like preparing myself and learning everything. And now I skipped all these 18 steps. That's never going to happen. No, never going to happen. It's never going to happen. You can't skip the struggle. <laughs> you got to go through it. You can't skip the struggle. Like now we laugh about it all the time. Like it's like if I'm doing a live webinar or something like that is coming up, the whole campaign is just kind of pre-built in our brains. Like we know the email sequence we're going to run. We know the ads. I, I'm going to shoot like seven ads. I'm going to, you know, write the creative the day before I run them. I have my audiences built up, blah, blah, blah. All these things took years to kind of get to that point. Mm -hmm. But now it's like a well-oiled machine. It all happens. But if I were to teach you all that, you can't go tomorrow and then just go, oh, I skipped all these 18 steps that took you like, you know, 16 months yeah. to get to. And now I'm just doing it right off the bat. So you have to get there. Somebody asked like, hey, how to connect with brands? So I don't know if you're, they're talking about affiliate marketing or like doing some, you know, say reach out to Logitech and then you do a logic video for Logitech in exchange for like a thing. So do you have some tips for that? Yeah, so on the sponsorship side of things, I think one thing people have to realize is that sponsorships, the sponsorship game is a shallow game. It, it's, it's, okay, what can you provide for this company? You know, um, and I think that the majority of the time, what you can provide for a company is an audience, a very laser targeted audience who are interested in products of these kinds. So for a lot of people, you won't get these opportunities until you build up some sort of following for yourself. So, you know, it can be you providing an audience. It can be providing some sort of project um, that they can use for their own sort of marketing. I feel like those are the two things that these companies are really looking for when they choose what creative or what person or what channel they're going to work with um, for the launch of a certain product or the promotion of a certain product. So focus on building up your audience. I think that that in itself, once you start doing that, you literally just start getting emails from everyone, you know? So uh, it's a shallow game. Focus on what you can provide for these people. If you can get your audience up, they're going to start hitting you up. It's just not even, it's not even something that you have to chase after a while. I'm sure you've gotten opportunities that just come to your email every single day, you know?
Right. No, and it's kind of crazy because it's like I don't. I'm not like I don't do reviews. Like I'm not even that guy. But I've been getting hit up like by so many companies, mm -hmm. monitor companies. Like you know, uh, LG sent a big 86 inch that we have in our living room. They sent a yep. huge ass TV, and they were like, "Can you do a review on it?" And I got super excited. That was like the earlier days, and I'm like, "Yes!" Like this is epic, you yeah. know. And I did a review video because I believe in LG. I only want to be associated with brands and and even products that. I can back up. If That's I important. can't back something up, I'm not going to mention any company name, but there's a company that sent out a monitor that I used to believe in a lot. I tried out their monitor for 20 days and they were like, when is the video going to come out? And I'm like, guys, I'm going to be honest. If I put out a video, you're actually going to lose a lot of business compared yeah. to killing it. So I think the respectful thing is for me to pack this puppy up and send it back to you. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you guys come up with something else, hit me up. But I just wanted to be upfront, and they were like, "Dude, love the honesty. Like, if you can send it back, that's gonna be great. You can also keep it." I'm like, "It doesn't sit well with me to keep this and not do a video on it, you know." Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna send it back, and I did that. I actually want to. I'm curious, and let's talk about. Uh, take a moment and talk about what your course is about, and who can that benefit? Oh yeah, so I just recently dropped a course called Free of Freelancing, and it's. It's geared towards people who want to get into YouTube, but from a monetizing standpoint, because you know you can get into YouTube, there's a lot of people who are very successful on YouTube in terms of numbers, but they don't know how to necessarily monetize those numbers into making the most amount of money that they can. So I basically just go through in depth and talk about the ways that I monetize my channel and how people can do the same thing um, with the interest that they have. So geared towards people who want to get into YouTube and you know, monetize basically. So where do they check it out? Like they just go on, is there a ycimaging.com website? Uh, we have, uh, it's actually freeoffreelancing.com. Freeoffreelancing.com. People should check yeah. it out because again, it's, I think it's, we're living through like a great and a, a very interesting time where the on-demand or e-learning is just such a great thing. You get to see the results that somebody's getting and you go, I want to do this. I want to be like this person. Then that person goes, let me show you how I, how I did this. So mm -hmm. what better way to learn that craft, you know, than like going to the source, like cutting, cutting to the chase and going to the right person. So that's, that's very interesting, dude. And yes, it's such a great, I think it's a niche thing that you're doing, but at the same time, it's one of those things that not a lot of people are hitting on right now. Like everybody is talking about how to get your views up. Like I've, I've gotten this crappy course about how to up your Instagram following. And this guy told me like how follow and follow for follow for follow bullshit and like that whole thing. And I tried that program for like a couple of days back in the day. And then I stopped using yeah. Instagram. I'm like, Instagram sucks. If this is how it works, then this is mm -hmm. garbage, you know, back in the day. All right, brother, we're going to start wrapping it up. Like uh, I really appreciate your time and uh, you'd like okay sitting with us and like, you know, going through all of this and just, again, be so authentic and just put it all out. Like, you know, you have zero scarcity and I absolutely, absolutely love it. I mean, look at this shirt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <Is> that merch? <laughs> that's more, yeah, exactly. It's that merch. Yeah. I want to ask you about, do you have any recommendations for YouTubers that you would like let some other people know, like if they want to check them out? Uh, yeah. My YouTube consumption is kind of all over the place. So yeah, obviously I watch content within my realm and what I do, but I watch a lot of randomness on YouTube too. <laughs> so um, in terms of like the, I guess the filmmaking and cinematography side of YouTube, 
Um, people like Armando, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce Armando's last name. Ferreira or something. Yeah. Yeah. Armando's content is consistently top tier. Um, and it goes beyond just like, I'm talking about this camera. It's like yeah. actual real world, yes. you know, cinematography and being on sets and doing stuff like that. So I love that. Then you have people like Indie Mogul um, who do amazing cinematography breakdowns with actual cinematographers who film feature films that you see in theaters, which is amazing and incredible that, you know, you get that sort of information for free. Um, you have Aperture Lighting, their channel where they break down lighting for cinematography is great. Um, really good. Those, like that sort of content right there that is just beyond the normal YouTube stuff, man, that's the stuff that, you know, people spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in films yes. with, yes. you know? So those channels right there, I highly recommend people uh, check those out. And it's nothing wrong with people who review gear, but it's just like, it becomes a point where your camera's good enough. Um, and we, we've been reached at that, that, that peak of, of all these cameras are good. So it's like, okay, focus on other things that will improve the image, like the lighting and the cinematography and people's thought process on building out these sets for actual feature films. So, No, dude, I'm, I'm right there with you. I can't, I'm just, maybe the school has a lot to do with it, but I have very low tolerance for like, just listening to somebody like, you know, dropping knowledge bombs and talking about what this camera has and what the sensor is capable of. Like, let's take this outside, shoot some stuff, you know, side by side. Let's yeah. put it to test. Let's just see what it does. Because to me, when somebody's just reading all that information and giving me the dynamic range info and all that stuff, to me, that's the same as like PC versus Mac. It's all benchmarks. I can talk about benchmarks all day long that PC ships on Mac, yeah. but when it comes to DaVinci Resolve, Mac is way more optimized with it. And my tool that I use, you know, the most is Resolve. So then it's like a no brainer for me to just go that route, you know? So same thing goes with cameras. People use it for different mm. settings, different mm. scenarios. Like I get that question all the time, like Kazi Blackmagic or blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, are you a one-man band? If you are, then go with a camera that has autofocus and all those things that can help you out. But yeah. if you have a full team, Blackmagic is a budget option that's going to give you the film look, baby Alexa, blah, 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 all those things, you know? No, 100%, man. Those are like, I love those channels, man. I love that aspect of just filmmaking. That goes beyond just talking about specs, like you said. Like, specs are cool. It's cool to talk about new gear that comes out, but like, man, like it, it becomes a point where you actually have to go out and use the gear. <laughs> right. What is the experience like using it? I don't want to know that this can do this, and this, and this. This is like, what are you actually going to do? You know, a lot of people buy gear based on what it can do and not what they actually are going to do with it. Right. You know, just use it. I want to see you use it. I want to see you actually use the gear in an in a, in a, in a ideal situation too. Like, yeah, like some people might go film their dogs outside or they might, uh, they might film an action figure on the desk. But it's like the majority of people aren't going to buy a camera to film an action figure on the desk to see how sharp it is. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I know it, dude. Like, I know. Like, I, I got... You know, but looking at all these reviews, I got so pumped one time. Like, I sold my C200. I got the Blackmagic Pocket 6K. I was, like, super pumped. Like, the results are out of control. Uh -huh. Then something weird happened. Like, I just didn't want to... I lost my love for filming. Like, just shooting. And I'm like, what is happening? Like, I, I'm a crazy yeah. troubleshooter in life. And I, 
I kind of got to the bottom of it. And what it was is that I got the, the you know, Pocket 6K. Then I had to buy a follow focus. Then I had to buy a wireless system like to actually see like if I was pulling the right focus right before my videos. It mm -hmm. kept me on edge and kind of freaked out to like, am I in focus? Am I not in focus? Like throughout shooting my video, there were so many different aspects that were going on that I'm like, dude, I just want to make art. Like I want to just, I don't care if there's a little bit more noise with C200. I'm a colorist. I know how to fix it, how to handle it. I just, I, I want to tell a story. Like, you know, I don't want to worry about that. So I think that's very important to just do it for yourself. Like try it out and see what really works. And that's why, like you said, Armando is a big one because he puts you in the driver's seat and he goes, this is C500 Mark II. I shot this film with it. This is my two cents. He was actually one of the major uh, players that played a part in me picking up a C500 Mark II. I yeah. watched all his videos and I'm like, done. Like I'm on B&H, let's order it. Yeah, I love Armando's content, man. He, he does a really good job um, actually you know, using a cine, the, the camera in cinema situations. Um, and I think that's what a lot of us are trying to achieve. We're trying to achieve cinema looks. We're trying to achieve what we see on, you know, big screens. Um, and I think that, you know, actually seeing someone do it or getting someone's insight or perspective on why they were doing something. Like I can tell you, okay, I put a light right here, but if I can explain to you why I put the light right here, it's gonna help you a lot more. It's just right. like, you know, with the content you do, like. I, it's weird, but I watch like the majority of your content. I don't even use DaVinci just because of the thought process behind like, okay, this is why he's doing this. So, you know, that yeah, helps awesome. you a lot more than somebody just saying, I chose this lens. Well, why did you choose this lens? What is this going to do for the look? You know, that sort of information is a lot more important to me. Right. And it's, it's the fine balance. I feel like, you know, you exactly. So, I mean, it's like, don't overfeed it but you just got to do it in a way that's like, in my brain, I was never a good student. So for me, it's really easy because I always wanted people to show me, show me how it's done. Don't, don't read it to me. Don't tell me to memorize yeah. something, put it to use. And then it makes sense to me. Physics was one of my favorite subjects because there was a lot of things, practical things that we did in the class. And I'm like, I get to see it. Like yeah. I experienced it. So I, I buy it, you know? All right, brother, I'm going to wrap it up. I know you got a lot going on and I really appreciate you for taking the time for doing this. It was so helpful. I know people just took a ton from this and uh, thank you so much, brother. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate all you guys for checking us out. Um, appreciate the opportunity too, man. All right, brother. All right, peace. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with friends, subscribe to this channel and I will see you in the next episode.